Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Workman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call and all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, July the 11th. Well, yesterday the women had a parade, flew across the country to L.A., had some great moments at the ESPYs. But I tell you who did not have a great moment. President Carlos Cordero, the U.S. soccer president. Wow. How are you the president of U.S. soccer and not know how to pronounce Megan Rapino? I've never heard her called Rapino. Megan Rapino. I mean, if you know someone... Like if you are if you are in a relationship with someone and you know them and you are friendly with them, it's someone that you talk to often and it's a name that that is well known. You no matter how nervous you are, you know how to pronounce their name. You get up on a stage in New York City and you cannot pronounce Megan Rapino's name. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, how are you the president of U.S. soccer and you can't pronounce Megan Rapino's name? I mean, number one, she she's on on the twenty three person roster for the World Cup, so there's not that many names. But never mind that, she's one of the most well known names on the team. Never mind that. She's one of the co-captains of the team. Never mind that. She's been all over the news for weeks. Never mind that. I'm going to announce her name as Rapinoe. Crazy. I don't understand. I don't understand how as American soccer fans, whether you are a coach, you're an administrator, you're a player, how you can look at this federation and think that they are doing a good job. I mean, you can't even pronounce our stars' names. I don't care what your background is. Like You've got to show that you actually care about soccer in this country by knowing our players' names. It's not like she just showed up yesterday. She's been around for a while, as have you. And you don't know her name? Unbelievable. And and I don't care about faux pas or or I you know it was just a uh, an accident or a mess up. That was a Freudian slip. That was not an accident. That was a revelation of the fact that you don't know enough about our players and the game itself to have the ability to pronounce her name, even under if you in in from everyone I've talked to and Carlos himself, he's, he does not enjoy public speaking. So I get it. He's he's probably freaking out because he does not enjoy that that moment. But. That still doesn't mean you walk up there and go, I don't know how to pronounce New York City or Alex Morgan or Megan Rapinoe. It's Rapino. 
I just I, I don't understand. That was uh, that was the low point for yesterday. The high point was the U.S. Women's National Team getting the opportunity to celebrate through the streets of New York and uh, then flying cross-country to Los Angeles to take part in the ESPYs and be celebrated again. Um, they deserve all the applause, all of the, all of the applause, the plaudits, the celebrations, the kudos, everything coming their way. They, they've earned it. I've been saying about this team throughout the whole tournament, tactically, I don't like where they where they are tactically. I feel like we could be a much better in that area, which would make us unstoppable. Um, quite frankly, right now, where we are where we are in terms of our individual players and their talent. If we couple that with a a really good tactical system, I think. I think we would just it would be even better. But the one thing that that this team has, and and I've talked about this many times, but you saw it again yesterday. They have backed up their words. They have moxie, and um, and and there is a culture there of of pride, arrogance, um, confidence, and in in all the healthy ways, not. Not in a way where you feel like you're better than you are, even though you're not really that good. We're not talking about just ego, even though you may not be that good, but you're going to walk around and stretch your stuff. No, they back it up. They walk out their talk. And that is something that is so impressive. It's difficult to do, but it's so impressive. So they uh, they have earned this opportunity to strut around the U.S., strut around the world, uh, for that matter, and um, be able to um, celebrate uh, their work and their accomplishments. Four stars, four World Cups. Kudos to them. And uh, our, our co-captains, um, Megan Rapino, like to just make sure I'm on the record, even though I... I I'm sure Carlos was trying to change the pronunciation yesterday for for the public. It's it's not Rapino, it's Rapino, and uh, you know I'd like to 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 thank all of those ladies for uh, for for doing what they did, and and they deserve deserve this uh, victory lap for sure. Uh, I want to tell you about some news. Um, the The show is going on. A road trip, sort of speak. It's actually going on a plane trip. Uh, we are going to Europe beginning on Monday, July um, the 15th through August the 6th. We will be in Europe on uh, on various uh, on the road, uh, planes, trains, automobiles, all over Europe doing the show. Next week will be in Amsterdam, Paris, Liverpool, and London. And after that, we'll be in Copenhagen and um, finishing up in Barcelona. So uh, make sure you tune in starting uh, Monday. Uh, we're going to have a um, variety of guests from all over Europe. And uh, many of them will be you know, live in person, will be... Uh, on set with them uh, in in these different cities, uh, and and in terms of footage, we're going to be doing a lot of you know uh, behind the scenes 
footage and uh, looking at, you know, soccer cultures uh, as well while we are overseas. So, um, you know, if you're not following on Instagram or Twitter at Daniel Workman, D-A-N-I-E-L-W-O-R-K-M-A-N. I suggest you do that. I think it's going to be that's going to be pretty fun. And then also facebook.com forward slash W-R-K-M-N. And um, so anyway, we're really excited about this. Uh, it's something we've been working on uh, before we ever even launched the show was uh, this uh, this three three weeks uh, plus a, a couple days of shows over in in Europe and uh, kind of taking the audience um, behind the scenes uh, of some soccer culture, meeting some people from all over the world. We try to do that with our, our guests uh, already. We talk to people all over the world, um, but uh, I, I think it'll be a, a really good time to, to be able to take it out of the studio and over across the Atlantic and uh, and get to see some uh, different sights and scenes and talk to different people in person. And we look forward to sharing those uh, interviews and conversations with you uh, over the next few weeks. So uh, if you are a listener to the show, follower, um, would love for you to to share this with your followers and friends. Let them know um, and uh, encourage them to follow along as well. And uh, we're, we're really excited about it. I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun time. And uh, I think we're going to get a lot out of it. And the the other big news that uh, is coming up we will be announcing while we are on the trip and uh, so pay attention to that we'll, we're also probably going to be giving stuff away so it would be it would behoove you for for you to follow because um we are going to be providing some opportunities for you to get involved Follow the show, get con- more connected with the show, and um, and we're going to probably be giving some stuff away from our travels over across uh, Europe. So uh, look, looking forward to that. Uh, there's a few places on this trip uh, that I I have yet to to uh, visit it yet. So I'm really excited to to take some of those sites in, and um, you know really looking forward to to these you know next uh, three weeks or so. Uh, in Europe, having uh, the opportunity to um, do some of these shows in person uh, with guests and um, even some some probably some uh, some co-hosts uh, as well. I think I think it's going to be a good time. So um, tune in, pay attention uh, over the next few weeks. It's going to be it's going to be fun. We're going to be out of the studio here and um, and and be able to bring you some sights and sounds um, that uh, you're not normally going to be able to, to get or to see, especially here in the States. It's not something that our our media typically regularly does. And so we're looking forward to bringing you a, a unique experience that uh, you don't normally get. And, uh, and, and being able to do that over the next three weeks is going to be a blast. So uh, anyway, uh, that's our that is our big news of today um and that kicks off on monday in amsterdam and uh, we are really really excited about this so tune in on monday and all those days we will have content posted on 
on, on the podcast and uh, on demand for you to go back and watch clips and stuff will be all over social media as well. So, um, you know, it, it will you you will have plenty of opportunities to go back and watch and listen to these conversations. I think they're going to be pretty fascinating um, and and really be for for a lot of people good education in terms of what a true footballing culture really is. We don't have a clue here in the U.S. Uh, in, in in large part we we have been doing things a certain way for a very very long time within the organizational infrastructure that is U.S. soccer in the way that it is set up. And it has not created a true soccer culture. We have created a a U.S. soccer uh, culture, but that is not an authentic footballing culture as we see around the world. And um, it, it's been a struggle, if not for the title nine and some other things, uh, our women's program where it is would not be where it is today and um and and i don't think that gets talked about enough our our footballing culture here in the country does not uh does not embrace the authentic football culture that we see around the world and that that authentic football culture means opportunity it means access it means competition is available to anyone anywhere you have to earn your way there yes it takes networking yes it takes connections but the the gateway is by your own merit. It is by what you do. If you are that good and you keep working to get in front of the right people and getting in front of the right coaches, you can find an opportunity. You don't have a gatekeeper telling you, well, that's good and all. You're a really good business person, but we don't want you. Um, that's That's not how that works. So... That authentic footballing culture that we see around the world, we don't have here. It is U.S. soccer's fault, and it's because they don't follow FIFA's rules. And it's also because they don't follow U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's rules. It's it's a combination of that. Their rule-breaking has, has been going on for a long time, and that rule-breaking is allowing... It is, it, is, it is done to allow Major League Soccer to leech off of u.s soccer and it, it is not the other way around u.s soccer is not leeching off of mls anytime that that u.s soccer gets up and talks about all that mls is doing for u.s soccer it's not true u.s soccer has saved mls it saved mls in 2002 and continues to allow mls to leech off of the federation to to profit it's not that that MLS is bringing things to U.S. soccer. It's U.S. soccer giving things to MLS, like the U.S. women's national team. That money's not going into the women's game. It's not going into the NWSL or the WPSL. It is going to Major League Soccer. This is part of the fact that we don't have a good, authentic footballing culture. So all that stuff needs to change, and we we really look forward to highlighting some of those differences um, as uh, as we travel around Europe over the the next few weeks um, with uh, with with different interviews, different guests, etc. So our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Ducktick is a maker of journals, notebooks. If you're a coach, if you're a player, if you're a goalkeeper, um, 
you should check out the products. They are incredible. You can use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. Again, that is DWSHOW to get 10% off of your order at ductickbrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Juan Arengo. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday morning, July the 11th. We are pleased and excited to have on the show today, Juan Orango. Juan, how are you this morning? Doing good, man. What's up? How are you? I am doing well. We uh, we were really excited to have you on. Uh, we've uh, we've had a, a, a Copa America, a Gold Cup, and a World Cup all taking place in the Africa Cup of Nations. A lot of, lot of tournament play this summer. You were covering Copa America... <clears throat> Uh, over over the uh, the month of June in into July, how um, how did you think the tournament went overall? Before we get into some of the individual storylines, I, I think it was a very underwhelming tournament. To be quite honest with you, uh, just the organization, uh, the ambiance in general. I, I think Conmebol really pretty much messed up in terms of not really giving access to the actual fan, made it a very exclusive type of engagement. And that's why you saw so many empty stadiums, Uh, really a lack of promotion, a lack of organization, a lack of, I mean, we we could talk about what was lacking overall in the tournament Uh, outside of the pitch. We could, we could probably do a whole show about that. Um, and also the ramifications they might have going towards the future. But um, overall, I mean, yeah, you did see a couple of good games. You did see some some good moments. But overall, it was it was pretty tarnished uh, by what was occurring outside and uh, pretty much the goings on. Of course, it ended up coming, you know, all to a Dayton one, if you will, when Messi comes up and starts talking about VAR, which was another big talking point in the tournament. 
and really going after it, after it. So, so overall, there, there was a lot of quirks. But if you really look at the overall ending of it, you know, the team that deserved it the most ended up winning, which is Brazil. So let's let's talk real quick uh, before we get to Brazil about outside of the stadium and the environment, the ambiance. I mean, you mentioned the empty seats in the stadium, and that was based off of some decisions made by Conmebol. What what was the outside of the stadium environment like, and and what were what were the decisions in terms of Conmebol that affected the the attendance in the stadiums? Ticket prices, and, and again, this is this this is hard for people to wrap their heads around when when you're not living in, in, in Latin America and understand the situation, and not just not just the economics of it, but the social economic situation that many of those countries are going through. For example, right now in Argentina, there's been a major devaluation of uh, of their currency, and right now it's it's <clears throat> I mean just. If, if you want to look at it from, from one perspective, uh, about this time last year, the Argentine peso was around 17 to 1. Now it's around 40 to 1. And the economy is kind of you know, facing a, a situation where it, it's right on the, on the, in the edge of probably going into an abyss yet again like it did back in 2001. The Brazilian economy is not too hot. So if, when you start putting ticket prices at numbers that aren't very affordable and you want to make it like a UEFA tournament, but unfortunately the prices are UEFA like, I mean, we saw it all, all during champions league, you know, fans complaining about 110 euro tickets and 110 pound tickets to go to champions league matches and the protests that, well, it's, it's pretty much the same thing, even to a greater extent when you have people who are earning on average, you know, 500, $600 a month, and then you're asking them to pay tickets, you know, that are about seventy-five, eighty, a hundred, one hundred and fifty dollars to be able to attend a, a Brazilian national team game or any any of those national team matches that were going on during Copa America. So that, that that's one of the major issues that really hampered, and and you even saw it with a lot of Brazilian national team games because those obviously were the ones that had the highest attendance. That it wasn't the same crowd that usually goes and supports the national team in regular situations. There's fans that, you know, have, have, have you know, that, that really are the type that come to the U S and, and watch the NBA are, are very casual, extremely casual fans or not even fans at all. They're more of those type of uh, individuals that like to go to events and be seen at events instead of actual football fans themselves. So is, is this a, a new problem that was created by Conmebol for this tournament? Has this been ongoing at, in recent you know, time? Like, I, I'm, I know that the, the culture and tradition of, of South American football is obviously very passionate, a lot of fans, a lot of support. To see those empty stadiums was definitely very, very eye-opening. You, you had yeah. to figure out something was going on. So, it, was this just for this tournament where they were where they were trying this out, or it, you know what led to the, to these decisions? I mean, it, it, it's really a step that Commable have been taking for a while now, and it's not just I'm not just talking in, in terms of of prices or, or, or money itself. Uh, sponsorships, for example, teams 
fans are no longer allowed in Copa Libertadores matches or Copa Sudamericana matches to bring their banners because they might cover sponsors. You know, things of that, things of that nature that you see in terms of, of, uh, of, of Comable trying to limit or, or even people argue that they were, they're, they're looking to kind of take away that passion that, that South American fans have or, you know, the type of ambiance that's created at a stadium like Boca Juniors or River Plate or Flamengo or any of those types of, you know, of those types of environments where, you know, you see those tifos that wrap around the stadium. No longer are you allowed to do that. Or, or, or the fireworks outside of the stadium. You're not allowed to do that anymore. I, I mean, the, the, I understand the fireworks portion, but that also adds to the pageantry of, of the game in that part of the world. Uh, Carnival has done a, a great deal to try and curb that and, and have curbed it significantly to such an extent that, that you don't see that ambiance as much anymore. You don't see that. And you've seen it more with Copa America where it's looked at as a huge cash cow now and anything that they can do to try and, and limit those types of things and give more weight to sponsors and give more weight to how revenue can be generated. That's exactly what they've been doing. And, and fortunately it's taken a hit to the actual, to the actual product itself, to be quite honest with you, uh, of the four tournaments that have been going on simultaneously, I would put the Copa America at the bottom in terms of, of, of entertainment value that, is, that we've been able to see in this summer. I mean, I, I would probably definitely put AFCON in the Women's World Cup over top of Copa America, and then Copa America and Gold Cup would probably be fighting for that last spot. So th- this decision by Conmebol to... Uh, I'm going to I'm going to make up a word corporatize the the event right and kind of that's a perfect word right um, mm-hmm. to to corporatize this event in in really all of the 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 tournaments that they are running uh, Copa Libertadores etc. Is this a situation where where they are choosing revenue over fans or or are they choosing what they think is going to be more revenue, but is not actually turning out to be more revenue because they are excluding the fans. It's all those things. I, I mean, and another, if you want, you know, you talk about the corporatization, you even invent another word, which is the waifenization of, of, of the Copa Libertadores and, and trying to make it look more European and more appealing, I guess, for lack of a better term, to international sponsors and, and rights holders and, 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 and things of those. I mean, there's the intention overall is good. And I say this because of the pseudo chaotic situations that we've seen in South American football, where you have fans uh, throw pepper spray at the opposing team, where you have, you know, fights and, and riots occur and, 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 you know, players start to fight on the pitch and you have situations where it becomes very uncontrollable to have a football match. Yeah, that, that's fine too. But all of that has been taking away the positives of the game as well. It takes away a lot of the, the, the good that people want to see in, in South American football. The reason why it's so appealing to begin with that aspect has been taken away and has been made a little bit more sterile. Now understand that, you know, South American football has its own unique situations and has had its own unique 
uh, obstacles that have been created because of their ineptitude administratively. And it's, it's led to this, but then we've gone to the, it's when you, when you talk about politically about extremes, when a company or a country goes to these major political swings, well, that's exactly what's happening with Carnival. They're, they're, they're trying to swing it in the opposite direction now. And that pendulum keeps on, on, on really not controlling itself and creating a great deal of problems for the game and its, and its overall development in the long term. Do you see, um, I, with, with the recent changes and decisions by Conmebol, do, do you see this pendulum kind of leveling out or do you still see this kind of staying out there in that, that extreme where it is right now where there is this exclusion of fans? Because ultimately, one of the things that, that makes... Uh, a tournament or a property, uh, you know, attractive for sponsors, for, you know, rights holders, etc., is the environment, what you see on TV. So it cannot help that you turn on Copa America and Brazil's playing in Brazil and it's a half empty stadium. Like that cannot be a positive. So do you think some of this starts to kind of level out or do you think that they are going to continue down this path? Uh, for the foreseeable future. You ask me as a fan, actually, if you ask me as a journalist, I think it's going to continue. Uh, I mean, Commonwealth at the end of the day are going, are going to make money. They're going to make a profit, whether it's through ticket sales or through merchandising or through marketing or through TV rights. It's it just that that is just going to be uh, the way it is, the, the way they're handling the TV rights deals now. Uh, I mean, just Popa Libertador, I think they're talking about over a billion uh, dollars in revenue <clears throat> in revenue in terms of Copa Libertadores. How that money comes to be, I don't know. But those are the calculations that Comebol was giving during the, the Copa Libertadores draw. And he's, you know, Alejandro Dominguez was talking about how, uh, how much money was going to be generated because of the new format and because of the new rights and how the rights were being distributed, that there was going to be a lot more money for teams. Now, it's great to have money. It's great to have those types of things for the teams. But the problem is that the reason why many, not to say most, and, and pretty much obviously not to say all teams in South America have faced or are facing major economic strife is not because of the, money, the amount of money coming in, first and foremost. It's about how they've handled the money that has come in and their necessity to be able to use money to cover up all the mistakes and all the mismanagement that they've had at the respective clubs throughout the years. Um, Argentine football, for example, there's teams that are on the edge of bankruptcy that are trying to sign players to almost European-like numbers. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's, there's exceptions like Boca Juniors, who's, who's very well financially, but there's teams that are trying to bring in players and trying to bring them in at three, four million dollars, but realistically their numbers don't add up, and all of a sudden there's issues there. So economically, that's the issue. If you look at it as a fan, I hope that it does, and I hope that this is a lesson learned for Carnival, where they have to look to bring in the fan and understand their market more than anything else. It is not UEFA. It is definitely not the United States, and it's definitely not Mexico as well because there is a different type of spending power. It's, it's just a, a reality of, of the situation. And you can't make it UEFA-like in that aspect. 
you can make it UEFA-like in terms of modern modernization, the implementation of VR, which we can talk about that in a little bit, and the the, the capability of making it a more professional-looking outfit. Yeah, that's positive, but everything else that has come with it has also been a side effect of it. So the, the no one with any... Uh any ounce of global perspective would ever look at South America uh, as a second-rate footballing culture. I mean, it is, uh, you know, producing, the culture itself is producing players year after year for Europe uh, in, in, in the top clubs in the world uh, are coming uh, from South America uh as much as from anywhere in the world. So it's not that there's a lack of footballing culture um, in, in South America, for sure. It, obviously, I think that one of one of the attempts by Comnable to modernize or whatever has has probably um, been a, a faulty experiment, I guess I would say, uh, in terms of you know, the result of what maybe they were hoping for. And, and I get it. It's a fine line. You, you can... You can try to to you know commercialize and market and and leverage that culture, but it, it seems to me, at least you know from from watching Copa America, um, that they they've gone a little too far in that commercialization and and has created an environment that um, you know is different than what what I'm used to seeing if I if I turn on you know South American football I, I I'm expecting passion that's the one word that always stands out to me that you you see it from the supporters from the fans from the players from the coaches uh, it's, it's, there's an emotional connection between uh, you know the the players and and the people in the stands and, and, and it comes through the television I did not get that experience watching uh, this yeah. Cup America yeah, like I said before, it's a totally different crowd when you when you talk about club. The whole club versus country argument is is kind of uh, involved in that. And mind you, you talk about passion, and sometimes at the club level, the passion does go overboard, and it goes into you know. And we can probably have a whole a whole show talking about the effects of the Barra Bravas and the and the Argentine mafia. In certain clubs and their influences. I mean, that, that's again. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but there's, you know, I mean, we're seeing right down the middle of the lane. We're not, we're not talking about the extremes, obviously. But clubs and then national teams have totally different followings. Have totally different people going to those games. The problem is, and I'll give you, I'll give you the best example that I could probably give you is. Let's say Major League Soccer, just to give it more of, of, a, of an Americanized type of, of, of example. And then the U.S. national team, which, which would probably be a, not a bad example either. The ticket prices or the average ticket price of an MLS team, let's say that price gets doubled or even tripled. Would MLS fans still be going? Well, they don't go now, so I would say they would definitely go less. Let's, let's talk about the, the ones that actually do, you know, the, the Atlanta, the, and I don't know Atlanta's attendance this year, probably more or less about the same, uh, Cincinnati, Seattle, Portland. If those ticket prices were to go up threefold, would the fans be still be going? No, I definitely think you would see a de- decrease in attendance at that point. 
but it, it will not only just a decrease, but a change in the demographic of the people attending those games. Right. Because it becomes a much an even more affluent type of crowd. Well, that's exactly what happened in Copa America. That's the same thing. That's the same exact thing. And, and, and of course, I gave the example of the national team as well. But with Brazil, that's exactly what happened. A, a more affluent crowd went. And, and like I said, there was those... Uh, Mauro Cesar, which is a very famous reporter, a very famous TV personality in Brazil, also a blog writer, he was talking about there was fans at the, at the stadium at the Morumbi during the inaugural match against Bolivia yelling defense like they would going to an NDA game. Like there were, the fans just had no clue what was going on. It's that type of crowd that ended up going because for them, it wasn't a football match. It was more of an event to go be seen. And, and, and it was all that. And and we can even add the political aspect to it where, you know, one of the big protagonists of the Copa America ended up being Jair Bolsonaro because he was always going into the stadium. At the, I'm not sure. And again, I wasn't watching the U.S. feed because I was on commentary for Gold Cup at that time. But I don't know if here in the United States they showed the halftime at the Mineral between Brazil and Argentina where Jair Bolsonaro goes on the pitch and he does basically a victory lap at halftime going around and waving to the crowd. And, and so it was used to a certain extent as a political, as a political tool, as a political propaganda. So, so that was another thing that affected the Copa America as well, the propagandization of a tournament in order to make a government look good. And that, of course, that's not something that's foreign to the game of football either. Right. Totally. So w- another aspect of this tournament that was talked about a lot, um, Messi, the, 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 the best player in the world, uh, in my view, uh, he had a lot of things to say about VAR, those, the three-letter curse word that is uh, entered into the football landscape, uh, controversial uh, VAR calls all over the globe in different tournaments, uh, in the Women's World Cup, um, you know, in, in, uh, in Copa America. Uh, as well, what what were your thoughts on VAR in relation to uh, to the Copa America tournament? Uh, look, I, I am a proponent of VAR. I think that VAR can help, but the problem is how it's implemented. I, it, it's like not using a computer right. You know, the computer is not the one that's going to make the mistake. It's, it's the person inputting the information. At the end of the day, VAR shows you exactly what happened. It, it's not it's not lying to you, or it's not skewing, or it's not favoring one team over the other. It's showing you where the fouls are. Now, the mismanagement and the misuse of it, or the interpretation of it, is a completely different story. And and again, it ends up being the interpretation and the final decision made by the referee that ends up being what goes. It's not VAR. VAR is a rec- a tool that's used to recommend something to be decided upon. That's pretty much what it is. Now, my biggest problem has been the referees, their training, or in some cases, because of how referees are assigned their, their respective assignments, especially in South America, that's an issue. That's a problem because you start seeing the development of egos and, oh, my interpretation is better than, no, and you don't have any accountability. Yet, when they're... If, if VAR is given, and I always use the example of rugby, I actually was seeing highlights of, of, of uh, the Cricket World Cup. And I know it's a different sport with a different speed, but 
you have more transparency within the process of the decision making that was made in order to lead to a decision, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether you agree with it or not. You at least know what the referee is thinking and you know where the referee is standing. We don't have any of that. Comable was not allowing replays. Comable was not allowing replays to be shown while the VAR was being implemented. The inaugural match, you had a boom mic that actually was capturing the, the, the sounds of, of Nestor Pitana, who was the, the referee in that match, saying what was going through. People, oh, that's a great idea. Then all of a sudden, Wilson, Wilson Senemé, who is the, the director of referees for Commonwealth, say, no, that's not supposed to happen. There, people aren't supposed to hear what the referee is saying. So then again, it goes against their original mission statement of giving more transparency to the game. You know, they're, they're, Commonwealth talked a great deal about transparency, but has done everything, you know, pretty much the opposite of, of what their original intention is. So where do we lie there? That's, that's the big problem. And, and VAR has been one of those things. There's been no transparency. There's been no, no issues. And the checks that have been made, okay, what happened? And, and again, this does lead to a lot of conspiracy theories too, leading again to the point of Jair Bolsonaro. In that Argentina-Brazil match, the talk about you know, the, the communication systems being jammed during, during or before the match. Who's to say that didn't happen already because the referee in that match, Roli Zambrano, said, hey, by the way, I wasn't communicated of a foul. I wasn't communicated of anything being said. That's why the Argentine FA said, hey, we want the communication that was going on in VAR to, to be made public because there's something going on here. One referee is saying that it happened. The other one saying that it didn't. So what was the case? And now you add in the, the, the Bolsonaro security issue then yeah, it does, it does lead to even more suspicions. And again, I'm, I'm not one that wants to go into conspiracy theories or conspiracy theorists, but it does lead to a lot of doubts. So when you, when you look at the, the teams that competed, the, the countries that competed in the, the Copa America, it, it was clear, at least to me, that the, the best collection of talent, now obviously Everything has to be won on the field, but the best collection of talent was Brazil. Um, but going into that Brazil Argentine uh, Argentine match, um, where you, you you know that you've got the X factor with Messi if you're Argentina. Argentina's looked atrocious uh, of recent, uh, you know, last year plus in this tournament. I, I I was shocked they even get out of the group. To be honest, uh, just have not been been playing uh well at all as a as a national team but they're they're competitive in that match obviously you have that that call um that that they don't get goes down leads to the second goal i believe of the the match for brazil pretty much all she wrote and then you know obviously messi comes out and says what he says that to me transparency in those moments is is the cure for for doubts and and is the is the uh, ability to create confidence in you know the fans and the teams and the players um you know we see this over and over again in the game whether it's uh you know in american soccer whether it's in fifa whether it's in uefa a lack of transparency um you know whenever you're trying to hide something, it usually means that it's not good. <laughs> so, 
you know, if you don't have yeah, anything to hide, you put right, it out yeah. there. You know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that's that's where, where, where many are, are, are always asking for. Okay, so why didn't you look at this? Why didn't you look at that? You clearly see the Otamendi foul, but you also hear. I mean, it's sad that you have to hear a referee at an airport explain his refereeing decisions. You know, because he did. Rodi Sambano did give give an explanation why he didn't call um, the foul on Sergio Bueno. So, okay, fine. You know, if if the referee says no, I saw it this way. And and let's let's be honest. Let's not let's not let's not shit on 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 referees. You know, the entire time. Let's be completely honest. Referee has what 0. 0.5, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.2 seconds to make a decision. Well, we have 26 different replays that we can, you know, access, especially nowadays. But referee has to make a decision on one look, one call, and maybe not even the best look. He'll probably have, obviously, the worst look of all in in many situations. So that's 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 an issue that that, that needs to be addressed as well. And if he says at that moment when I had to make the call. I saw it this way based on A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You can't say a thing. But referees aren't given that opportunity, and some referees don't want to, and some referees think that their call is better than anything else, so they'll not go to VAR. Now, the implementation of VAR in South American football has been absolutely grotesque. It's been absolutely horrible. And they were using it for anything and everything, and I think that's, that's another thing that kind of killed the tournament as well. The, the unnecessary implementation or the over-implementation of VAR in certain cases really was, was not necessary. A lot of times, yeah, you know, they got it right, justifiably right. Many people will complain about it, but they did get it right as well. But still, there were certain things about, about VAR that were overused. You know, just, oh, well, is this a yellow card or a red card? Oh, I don't know, you know, do you really need to go to that extent after the play has, you know, already been made? unless it's something absolutely, you know, necessary where, you know, a player ends up getting injured or, or they end up getting a leg broken and the referee gives a yellow card. You know, now, come on, give me a break. That, that, that's, that's an exception to the rule. But in this particular case, in this particular tournament, that's what ended up happening. And I, and I think that that needs to improve. That really needs to improve, not just in Copa America, but in many other tournaments as well. When we look at South American football and the culture there, the support Obviously, the players that have come out of there, you look across Europe, uh, a lot of the the big names and big stars are, you know, are they count their origins as as from a country in, in South America. What is it about uh, South America that is is creating the environments and the culture to produce um, these talents and these players? You know, I mean, you look at. Uh, a, a country like the United States, a country like Mexico, unable to to get anywhere close at this point of producing the level of talent and and in the quantity of that uh, talent level um, that we're seeing in the top you know leagues uh, you know in in uh, when Neymar was at Barcelona um, you know you had a you had the the front three of Barcelona all South American. Um, you know, you, you see it uh, throughout different teams, clubs across Europe that, that are always looking for, you know, the next Brazilian player or Uruguayan, you know, player, et cetera. Like, 
what is it about that culture environment that is allowing these countries to produce these talents and in and in numbers uh, compared to other places in the world? I mean that 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 that, that answer has very different fronts, but first and foremost, you. You're in, in. It might sound a bit sexist to a certain extent, but that's that's changing because of 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 how things are evolving. But in the past, if you were a boy, you were given a you were. I mean, you were barely walking. You were standing, and the first thing that you did as a kid was given a football, and it was right next to your feet. And the first thing you did was try to kick it. I mean, it, 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 it was even implemented, or it's even implemented from the time before you're able to walk, to have a football and, and just kick it. And as soon as you start walking, the first thing that your dad or your, your uncle or whoever they start doing is putting a ball at your feet. And, and you start kicking, you start running. And, and before you learn how to walk or run, you're already kicking a ball. That, that, that's, that's first and foremost. Second of all, in a country, for example, like Argentina or like or, or like Brazil, not, not Colombia so much, but it it does happen. Football is everything. Now, by saying football is everything, it doesn't mean that everything else is blocked out. Argentines love rugby. They love basketball. They love American football. They love tennis. They, they love other sports, but football takes precedent over everything else. If Argentina win the World Cup. Yes, that takes everything. Anything else takes precedent. Now, if football's doing well, but let's say, you know, Argentina wins the Davis Cup, then, of course, they'll celebrate that or Ginobili or anything else. Yeah, they, they do that. But 24 hours a day in Argentina, football, on radio, on television, football, 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 football. Same thing in Brazil. In Colombia, you have that to an extent. Uruguay definitely as well. It, it, it's like that. You know exactly who your idols are on your club. You have a, a link to, not, not so much here like in the United States, but clubs like Boca, clubs like River, aren't just teams that you follow. They're your neighborhood club. They're the club that you grew up with, that your father and your mother and your grandfather and your great-grandfather followed. That, it, so you have that. You have that affiliation, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I have a friend of mine that everybody is a River fan. He's a Boca fan. He ends up being the black sheep of the family. Political decisions are made based on, you know, based on, 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 on your, your political party, or <laughs> not even on your political party, based on who you follow as a team. You know, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to support so-and-so because, you know, he, 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 you know, he's a Boca fan, or I like so-and-so because he's a River fan. I mean, people give. I mean, people give Mauricio Mac. I mean, as, as much as his, his administration has not been too successful, they've given him shit over over him being a Boca Juniors fan or being the president of Boca Juniors at one point. So you start seeing those types of things, and that really is what causes you know the strife and the full. You know, have the folklore, and, and you have books upon books upon books that you that you read. I mean, every time I go to Argentina to visit my in laws, for example. I buy books and, and that, that's what it is. You have it through books and through stories and through, and through the culture. And, and now you, you start to add the women's aspect to it as well. And it's, it's just constantly there. 
And obviously you have to, and, and as much as people here in the United States don't maybe wrap their heads around it, football's a way out, much like basketball, much like American football here in the United States for, for many in inner cities. But in, you know, in, in Argentina, in Brazil, in Colombia, there's no coincidence that four of the greatest exporters of footballers around the world come from South America, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia. And now Chile is slowly getting into the mix. I mean, in Brazil's case, transfers are part of their GDP. That's how, that's, that's how big it is to be able to bring in Brazilian players. You know, I think it's over a thousand players that they've transferred on average during, during the past decade, as far as, you know, per year. So, I mean, you start looking at it and it's, it's mind boggling the numbers that are there. But for many of those, you know, I mean, it, I, when I was when I was in Brazil during the World Cup, I was mind boggled at the amount of ten year olds that had agents. So we can we can we can talk about player transfers, but we can also talk about about how children are looked at as a way for a family to get out of not just poverty. I'm talking about extreme poverty, out of misery, out of some miserable conditions. You know, a ten year old is looked at as hope for that family to have a better life. So, so you have that necessity, you have that hunger where, you know, kids leave their houses at, you know, leave their homes at 10, 11, 12 years of age to go see what they can do to be able to, to have a family that can go to school, that can have a roof over their head, that can have a meal every single day. So, so there, there's obviously the more folkloric, the more romantic aspect of it. But there's also the social sadness of it that ends up, you know, having children looking for a dream and it ends up being some type of, of, of illusion of, 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 of children just, just being exploited to a certain extent for the benefit of, of adults or, or for the benefit of one adult, be it their parents or their agents. And sometimes the parents end up being their agents. I mean, and Neymar, as much as people want to hate on him, that's a fascinating story. People have to know where he comes from. People have to know what his parents were willing to do in order to get him where he is and what he's been able to do for his family because of all that. I mean, being told that you're, you're this phenomenal, great next one by the time, you know, since you're nine, 10 years old, I mean, you do end up having an ego. And let's be honest. I mean, Dan, let's, I mean, if someone was telling you, hey, you're going to be the next great player of all time. I think your ego is going to, to be a little bit bigger than normal, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the story. That's, you know, and, and he was their meal ticket out. And that's the case. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that every kid in Brazil is Neymar, but I'm just saying also that many children are talked to as, hey, you could be the next Neymar. And they're taken for a ride at times. So, I mean, you have all those aspects, both positive and negative, as far as as far as these types of, of situations, but that is part of the football and culture in, in South America. And I don't even know if it's considered football and culture. It's just culture itself. You know, no no longer can you say it's oh you know the football and culture in Argentina. No, no, it, it's culture because those that aspect of life encompasses so many things. And and the perfect example, um, la, uh, excuse me, 2017. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking it's 2018 for some reason. Uh, 2017. The day of or days leading up to the match between Ecuador and Argentina, political pundits 
were talking football. They were talking about this. If Argentina did not qualify for the World Cup, that could be the end of the Macri administration as it was. Before, you know, using the Copa America as a political tool by Jair Bolsonaro and the Brazilian and the far right and many of the members of Bolsonaro's party ended up being exactly that. So you look at it more than a footballing culture. It's part of culture. And I think that's the big problem with the U.S. We have culture, but then we have a little thing out there, oh, footballing culture, which is kind of a little separate thing out there kind of floating there looking for its place in the world. And, and I think that, that's, that's the biggest thing that's it's not inserted in culture yet. Maybe that'll take about a generation or two to really fit in, but it's slowly getting in there. So it's, it's again, it's, it's very hard for me to say football and culture in South America because it's so ingrained in every other aspect of, of everyday life in that part of the world. Well, I mean, that, that is, uh, I think some really good insight into into South American football and and you know I think I, I think a lot of people we we you know if you if you look from the outside you don't really understand the stories you don't understand the backstory behind some of the players some of the clubs uh, some of the national teams uh, the color uh, that 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 you bring to life uh, when when you're describing uh, those situations. And, um, you know, I think your I think your comparison to, you know, the basketball culture in the U.S. is is a pretty relevant one. And, um, you know, I think if if U.S. soccer, the formal you know organization of U.S. soccer uh, ever wants to to really take the game seriously and and make it um, reach its potential, help build it, grow it to reach its potential. There's got to be a change in mentality so that uh, what we've seen with the basketball culture is repeated and accessible um, w- within the formal structure that is U.S. soccer. There is a there is a football and culture in the U.S. Um, it's it's here. It's just not celebrated and and not welcomed enough for sure. And. No. And, yeah, and now, now you hear. I mean, just in the past three days, now you hear about the war on soccer. And I mean, that, I guess that, that's another, you know, uh, social issue. But but you start seeing how people are pushing back on on two things that many aspects of American life are, are against. I mean, you know, people that have different sexual preferences, as well as a, you know, having sex, not just their preferences, but also being linked to something that's a bit foreign to them. So, so we, we still have here in this country, we still have a very World War II type of mentality, despite being more diverse. And that, 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 that's a big problem as well. And, and again, going back to what I was saying about South America, you don't have or you do have a certain I mean, when it gets to extremes, it does get tribalistic. And I don't, I'm kind of I'm kind of spinning off a little bit, but it does get tribalistic. Uh, you know, you come to my in-laws house and, and the first thing that they'll ask you is, okay, what's your name? Okay. You say, okay, my name's Dan. The second question that will come up. Okay. So what TV do you support? Well, but, but you're right about, about, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, and, 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 and that is, that is definitely, you know, ingrained into the culture. 
Um, and, I, and I think, you know, the more that we welcome and invite that culture here in America, the, 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 the better we are going to be. We're, a lot of times, you know, when you look at American soccer for, for, uh, for a second, when you look at American soccer in, in the whole, one of the big you know, issues there is, is the mentality of the decision makers. What is your worldview? Um, it's, it's not just about the decisions, the specific choices that are made, but what is the worldview that's guiding those choices? And, um, and for me, it's opportunity, it's access, it's merit. Um, you have to start there. And, and that is what we see in South America with, with the, the culture that is there, that, that, that football is, is so important. It's a priority. It's a principle. It's a way of life. It influences decisions. Um, and, and that's the level that, that we've got to get to in America in order for us to really establish a true uh, presence of excellence, especially on the men's side. On the women's side, we've been given a lot of advantages, and we've taken advantage of those advantages. Um, I, you know, the thing I love about the U.S. women's national team that just won uh, the World Cup in France is the moxie of that team and their their ability to back up their talk uh, with their with their play on the field and, and their ability to win. Um, as you look at South America and, and Argentina, um, you know, had had some bright moments in the tournament uh, before getting knocked out. You could see that there is there's progress there. Um, they need more support from their federation in, in whole looking at Conmebol in, 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 in general. Um, where do you see the, the women's game going? Uh, proceeding over the next five to ten years is it growing does it become a priority is it is it still being kind of handled with a stiff arm where do you see conable in terms of embracing that the women's game in south america it's a mixed bag uh and it was great to hear Alex Morgan the other day talk about that and say, you know, there's teams like Brazil that have the potential. They do. And if there's a positive is that now they're, they're admitting that they need help, that they need to grow and, 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 and being able to piggyback on what Marta said after Brazil were eliminated in, in the World Cup. Um, being able to get a person like Pia Suhage to, to come in and at least have interest in taking over a project in Brazil is important. Now, one thing is the Brazilian national team. One is the way, another thing is how Brazil covers football. Uh, I mean, people here in the U.S. Were, were, were thrilled over, but Brazil's been doing that. You know, Brazil's had women in their broadcast teams for years now. And that's something that, that very few talk about as far as, as far as World Cup coverage. You know, oh, you know, the first woman, no, no, you know, Brazil did that first. You know, and, and Argentina has also done that already before the U.S. had. So you have a little bit of that. Uh, South America, there's the Argentina, there's the Brazils. But yet Colombia is still resisting it. Chile is starting to get into the mix as well. And, and also keep in mind that it, it, change comes very slowly. And, and 
thank goodness for what's happened in the Women's World Cup that we've started to see that change start to accelerate a little bit more because now, I mean, I remember when, when my daughter was, was small, I think, yeah, you know, I wish my daughter, and, and people look at me weird, like, really? You want her to play, you want her to play soccer? You want to play, why? Why wouldn't she? And mind you, I was living in Argentina back then. And I'd say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like for her to play soccer. Well, I think she should play field hockey. She should play volleyball. I'm like, no, I want to, oh, you know, that's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, you know, kind of a, you know, men's sport, right? I'm like, not where I come from. <laughs> so you you do have a lot of that. And, and that mentality has slowly changed throughout the years. But 10, 15 years ago, that was the case. But And as soon as they start seeing the marketability of the game itself on the women's side, I, that will start even accelerating more. And when clubs start to have to fulfill their obligation of having a, a fielding a women's side in order to play Copa Libertadores or Copa Sudamericana, then that will accelerate even more. So again, the, the pace at which the game is growing is important, but there still needs to be a little bit of a push here and there in order to make it happen. Well, Juan, I really do appreciate you uh, coming on the show and, uh, and, and talking South American football, Copa America. Um, I, I definitely want to have you back on to get into some more of these issues and talk about uh, some more, um, not just uh, Copa America or, or, or that, but just, you know, in general football um, around the world. I, 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 I think one of the things that, that we take for granted is the, the amount of exports from South America around the globe and uh and and we we just don't talk about it enough uh especially when you know you turn on a champions league match in 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 europe you're you're going to be hard pressed to find a a team in that competition that's not fielding a player <clears throat> excuse me from south america so um you know i i, I just think i think there's so so many places to go with this um, you know, and and to talk about it and to and to dive into it more. So, uh, would really love to have you back on again in the in the near future. And uh, and really, do... anytime, anytime, and I'd be more than happy to come on. It's great to be able to have that discussion and to kind of. Uh, it's very difficult to really extend yourself uh, in a, in a written format, and so people can truly understand it. I I, I would love to be able to, to talk more about it because I think especially people here in, in, in this country need to understand where people see the game from other parts of the world. And at times it, it's, it's difficult to explain it in, you know, be it, a, you know, an article or 280 characters. It, it's very difficult to do that, but, you know, through discussion, through dialogue, through, through being able to, to express it in, in different ways, it, it's a good way of, of people getting a better understanding of it. You might agree with it, you might not. That's a different story. But still, you're able to communicate the idea and ha- let people understand exactly where, where, you know, how, why people, more, more than the how, more, more the why. Because I, I think that's where people tend to not be able to wrap their heads around because of how passionate and sometimes how crazy uh, teams and, and games and events and tournaments of that nature in South America are. I mean, it was very difficult to explain to them why Boca Juniors and River Plate couldn't play in, 
in, you know, the return leg at, at River Plate Stadium. Instead, they had to go all the way to Madrid because of all the internal mechanics that were going on as far as that particular rivalry, that match, and, of course, Connable's inner workings as well. Well, uh, again, uh, there's so many places for us to go and to talk about. I, I definitely look forward to having you back on again in the near future and dig into more of those. Uh, you know, I have a list of topics uh, that we didn't even get to scratch the surface on, but um, I, I really enjoyed the I really enjoyed the chat today. Sure, sure. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for coming on. I uh, really do appreciate it, um, and we will we will have you back I on again soon. It. All right. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. That is Juan Arango. He, uh, broadcaster, um, media, uh, personality, um, does uh, a lot of things in and around the game. And if he's, if you're not following you should, he has such good insight into the game, uh, globally. And it would, it would help you process the game in the States as well. Um, great guy and uh, has a lot of really good insight and I, I really look forward to having him back on again in the near future our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water you can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org they are changing lives changing villages by providing clean drinking water and you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org we'll be right back after this no one no man no woman no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them, it changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for uh, tuning in this Thursday, July the 11th. I'd like to thank Juan Arango for coming on the show. Talking South American football, football and culture in general, and um, giving color to this Copa America tournament. Uh, there's a lot going on, and um, I felt like it was definitely a lot we needed to talk about, and uh, we have a, a whole lot more to get to uh, next time we have him back on, but I really do appreciate him spending some time with us today. Again, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Beginning on Monday, we will we will be uh, on day one of our, our European tour, July the 15th, in Amsterdam. And uh, we will have some more information on that uh, coming out later today and tomorrow. Uh, stay tuned on social media channels at Daniel Workman, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will see you again tomorrow.